Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. To glorify your name, to magnify all that you are, God, to bring you praise, for you rightly deserve it, Lord. There is none like you. As we've been studying through the book of Micah, we're reminded of his name. Who is like the Lord our God? For the Lord, there is none like you. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, that we might have forgiveness of sin, that we might have redemption, Lord, that we have the promise of eternity, Lord. As we come before you on this uh, Thanksgiving weekend, Lord, if we just ponder for a moment, pause and reflect for a second, you fill our hearts with thanksgiving. What a joy, Father, to be part of your kingdom, to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. May we forever be found glorifying your name. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're in uh, Micah chapter 6. If you want to turn in your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on the table over there. If you don't have one that's your own, you can call your own. You're welcome to take that with you. I just want to welcome you all here. We're glad you're here today. Thank you for spending this Sunday with us. Thank you for everybody that's watching online. Uh, we're grateful to be able to bring God's word. Um, not my division of the book of Micah, but I liked it, so I stole it. Uh, we as pastors do that once in a while, borrow other people's material. It's not plagiarism, it's research. And so, uh, as long as you borrow from more than one person. <laughs> Chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Micah, if we were to break this down by division, chapter 1, 2, and 3, we would call it pronouncing grievous retribution. God is going to stand against the nation of Israel in judgment. What well, we studied last week, chapters five, 4 and 5, promising glorious restoration. Yes, I'm going to stand against it, God would say, the nation of Israel, but there's going to be a way back. There's going to be a remnant to be had. And then chapters 6 and 7, what we'll look at today, we'll finish the book of Micah today, proclaiming generous reconciliation. If you'll recall when we started the book of Micah a whole three weeks ago, um, we started with the end. We read the end of the book, the last three verses. And, and if you just read and dwell on what is said at the end of chapter 7, it is God proclaiming his generous reconciliation. It truly is a glorious thing. We'll get there here in a little bit. Micah chapter 6, verse 1. Everybody found it? Good. It says, Hear now what the Lord says. Arise. Plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. This is riding on the heels of chapter 5, verse 15. Remember, we don't have chapter breaks when they initially penned these books. The message of chapter 5, verse 15, vengeance is coming. God is bringing his wrath. He's going to pour it out upon the nation of Israel for their idolatry. Judgment is going to be leveled. And so, in light of that, he says, now, here... What the Lord says, arise and plead your case. Imagine, if you would, a trial setting. That's kind of the picture I get as he says this. Plead your case. God sits as the judge and also the plaintiff. <laughs> he is the judge, but he is also the one bringing the accusation. The people of Israel are the, the, the defendant, and he's calling the world here the jury. He, 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 plead your case before the mountains. 
Tell the, tell the world why you would be standing against me. God is telling Israel, make your case before the world, before the jury, because my judgment is coming. He says in verse 2, Hear, O mountains, the Lord's complaint, and your strong foundation of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. And then he asks a question. God asks the defendant, O my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you testify against me? God says, if I've done something wrong, if I've earned the way you're treating me, then tell me what it is. Tell me plainly what I've done wrong. Now we know God. He has done nothing wrong. It's the people that have, have, have fallen away from him. But God the Creator is asking, what have I done to deserve the way you're treating me? He reminds them in verse 4, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. They were slaves in the land of Egypt. They were in bondage. It was the Lord who chose the nation of Israel and removed the burden of captivity from them, redeeming them and pulling them out of Egypt. He says, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. Did you forget that? Is that, is that why I'm earning this? Um, is that why I'm deserving of the way you're treating me? Because I brought you out of the land of Egypt? I redeemed you from the house of bondage. I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. I, I, I put leaders out in front of you demonstrating the way in which you should go. He says, oh my people, remember now. That's the issue, isn't it? We don't remember. Far too often, we forget. We forget what the Lord has done for us. We forget how good God has been to us, how he has provided for us, how he has sustained us and cared for us, how he has delivered us from bondage. Have you ever talked to a Christian that's struggling with holiness in the moment and, and struggling with the Christian walk, and they just, they, they're kind of fed up with it, and they go, you know what, it was just easier when I was a non-Christian. That's not true. You forgot how miserable you were before you knew Christ. You forgot all that God has delivered you from and redeemed you from. He says, remember now what I've done on your behalf. And the problem is, far too often, we forget. He gives a specific example. Oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Acacia, the, from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. If you're not overly familiar with the Old Testament stories, perhaps you don't know the story of Balaam and Balak, but it is an interesting story, uh, one of a talking donkey, if you're interested in, in, in going back to that, we, uh, we have a talking ass, if you would, and donkey, and, and that's, that's the story there. But specifically what he's talking about, at least between the relationship of Balak and Balaam, King Balak hired Balaam, who was a prophet, to curse Israel. Balak paid Balaam money to pour out a curse upon the nation of Israel. And every time Balaam tried to do that, he's like, I'll take your money, I'll curse Israel, and he would go up and stand to pronounce a curse upon Israel. Whenever he did that, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him as a prophet, and he would end up blessing Israel. 
It was a pretty funny story. Yeah, I, I want to bless you. <laughs> you know, he couldn't get the, the curse out of his mouth. God wouldn't allow him to say it. It just a blessing would come out every time he went to curse him. It, it, God is saying, "Hey, remember, they wanted to curse you. I wouldn't allow it. I stood in between you and them. I provided the protection for you." He had declared Israel beautiful. That's one of the things that Balaam said. You are beautiful. Now, the nation of Israel was anything but beautiful, especially in this moment, in the way that they were treating God. But their beauty was imparted to them by the righteousness of the Lord. He had declared the nation of Israel beautiful. They had done nothing to earn the title beautiful. Yet God had declared them as so. You know, it's similar to our holiness. We've done nothing to earn our holiness. We bring nothing to the table but wretchedness, unrighteousness. And yet God has declared us holy through His Son, Jesus Christ. And what He has declared holy cannot be made unholy. Because of Jesus' blood, His holiness has been imparted to us in the way Israel was declared beautiful by Balaam. We have been declared holy by God himself. Remember how I have cared for you. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? The people are now asking, shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? You know what Isaiah said to that? Shall, shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Should we, should we just pile it up toward God? Should we just... Oh, you know, oh, overstep and, and just go crazy with this with calves a year old? What did Isaiah say? Remember, Isaiah was speaking at the same time as Micah. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or in the lambs. Of goat or goat or of lambs or goats, he desires mercy. They continue to ask the question: Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Or we just mount up a, a, a hill of sacrifices unto him? Ten thousand rivers of oil? Should we just should we just overflow the oil to him? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Should we sacrifice our kids under God? Would that make him happy? Can we pay God off? That's what they're asking. Can God be bought? Can His righteousness be purchased? How many rams would it take? How many oils, rivers of oil would it take? Can we pay God off? I think Micah allows this question to be asked, writes it out, because at the time... There was a practice in Israel that was actually quite disgusting. Israel was offering their firstborns to the God of Molech as a, 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 a measure of praying for prosperity. Whenever they would have a, their firstborn child, whoever opened the womb, they would go and sacrifice that child to a false god, the God of Molech. It was a uh, disgusting practice. The, 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 the idol of Molech was a bronze, uh, bronze image or an iron image, I can't remember, that his arms were out like this, and they would put a fire under the arms to heat, their arm, to heat the arms to red hot. 
and then they would take the baby and place it on the arms of Molech, sacrificing the baby. That was the practice that was happening in those days. It's a satanic imitation of the only one who is truly right to offer his firstborn son, that being our Savior, Jesus Christ. Shall I give my firstborn son for my transgression? God would tell you, no, you don't do that. I did that for you. I sent my son for your transgression. So they ask the question, God answers them. And this verse, verse 8, is a highlightable verse, I would say. Probably if you've read through Micah before, if you've heard somebody quote Micah, it was a good chance it was this verse. Chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What a fantastic verse. It's a summary verse. He says, I've already shown you what you're supposed to do. You don't need to ask the question, shall we bring a mountain full of rams and rivers full of oil? Shall we sacrifice our, our firstborns? We don't, you don't have to ask that because he says, I've already shown you. He's given us the commandments, 613 of them in the Old Testament. The, Deuter the, the law given in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, He's already shown us what to do. And verse 8 of chapter 6 is the summary of all 613 of those commandments. If we could sum it up down, or break it down to three separate things, this is what he would say. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's easy enough to write on our hearts, isn't it? I don't have a shot of remembering 613 laws. I don't know about you, but I don't have a shot. But I do, I can, I can probably remember three things. My wife wants me to go to the store today. You give me 613 things, I'm not going to remember any of them. You give me three things, a loaf of bread, a bottle of milk, and a stick of butter. I got it. I got it. I can do that. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk home. May we tattoo that on our hearts. May, we, may that impress upon our hearts. And may we walk in those ways. We first must do justly. What's the idea? That we would have justice in our lives. That we would do the right thing. That we would have fair measures. <laughs> He's going to talk about that in a little bit. When you would trade in those days, you would use a scale to trade with. And you wanted the scale to be just. You wanted the scales to be right. Far too often they were tipped in the favor of the one uh, making the money. And so what he's saying is have fair measures here. Do what is right. Have justice. A medical ethics professor threw out a scenario. Give some advice for a pregnant lady. Here's her situation. The father has syphilis. The mother has tuberculosis. The first child born was blind. The second child born died at childbirth. The third child was born deaf. The fourth child contracted tuberculosis. And now the mother is pregnant again. 
70% of the class suggested that the mother abort the child. The professor said, congratulations, you just aborted Beethoven, because that's his story. That's his family history. To do justly is to do what's right all the time, even when no one is looking. Because somebody is always looking. Our Savior is always looking. To do justly is to do what is right all the time, even when no one is looking. In other words, no more borrowing office supplies. <coughs> I need a pen at home. I just forgot, to, I forgot it was in my pocket. No more recording only part of your tips for tax purposes. No more thinking the speed limit is a speed suggestion. I got to practice that today. As we got here to set up, we realized that we had forgotten a component of the, the band and at home. <laughs> Forgot the power supply for the piano. And so, all the way home, as I was breaking the speed suggestion, <laughs> I was being reminded, remember what's in your son. <laughs> so I slowed down a little. <laughs> I'm still practicing it. Let's say that. To do justly is to do what's right all the time, even when no one's looking. That's the first of the three. The second is to love mercy. Both the giving of mercy and the receiving of mercy. What is mercy? Somebody help me. Mercy is? Hey, beautiful. Wonderful. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. It's seeing that someone else is not acting justly and forgiving them anyway. When you, when you recognize that someone is not acting just, justly, especially towards you, the natural reaction would be to return justice for injustice, to level the hammer. But he says to love mercy, to not bring it into account. It's seeing that someone else is not acting justly and forgiving them. Notice he doesn't say to love justice and do mercy. Oh, I love justice, especially when it comes to somebody else. I'm going to do mercy because I have to. No, do justice, but love mercy. We are to do what is right. That is to do justice. But when it comes to others, we should look for an opportunity to demonstrate mercy. We act justly. But when it comes to others, we extend mercy. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's not my nature. We want to hurt those who hurt us. That's our natural reaction. A small-framed man, truck driver, was sitting at the truck stop diner bar, eating his breakfast, minding his own business. Three bikers, big guys like me come in in their leathers, they got chains hanging off of them, wanting to stir up trouble. So they go over to this little man of a truck driver and they push him aside and they begin to eat his breakfast, hoping that they'll stir something up inside of him just to pick a fight. And the man sits quietly, allows them to eat his breakfast, he pays for it, and leaves. So the three bikers turn to the waitress and they say, well, he's not much of a man, is he? She says, 
Yeah, but he's not much of a truck driver either. Look, he's running over three motorcycles. <laughs> right? That's our nature. <laughs> when an injustice has been done to us, we will exact the punishment. We'll sit in the judge's seat and, and execute justice. But that's not what he says. Love mercy is what he says. Speaking of mercy, this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 36 and 37 and 38. Jesus says, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and it will be forgiven of you. And then he says this. What a great um, verse. Give, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now you hear the chintzy television preachers use that when, it comes, when they're talking about money. Right? You, you give in this way, and it's going, to be come, it's going to come back to you, pressed down, running over, shaken together. You, you give a hundred, you're going to get a thousand, blah, blah, blah. You know, you know the story. But that's not the context Jesus is speaking in. The context he uses is mercy. Give mercy in this way, and you will experience the mercy of God in ways that you have never experienced before. Do justly. Love mercy. Third thing, walk humbly. What is it to walk humbly? It's to have things in the right perspective. It's to recognize our dependence upon God. Do you recognize your full dependence upon God? Your heart is beating right now and you're not thinking about it other than I just drew your attention to it. That's God's grace and mercy. You've been breathing this whole time. I don't think you're holding your breath. I haven't seen anybody turn purple. That's God's grace. Your atoms are held together by something that scientists have yet to fully understand. God's grace. You have health. You have life. You have food. You have shelter. You have jobs to go to. You have provision in that way. You have family that cares for you. You have a church that loves you. God has provided over and over and over and over again. He provides for us. It is a, a, to recognize our full dependence upon God. I've given you two stories. I'll give you a third. 1911, Bob Leach. Bobby Leach. Anybody know who he was? Yeah, me either. He was the first man to go over the falls, Niagara Falls, in a barrel. 1911. He survives, goes over the fall. First man to survive, I think, was the actual, and go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. After he survives that, he goes on tour of the country, touting how wonderful he is, in the next six months lecturing on what he had accomplished until he slips on a banana peel and breaks his neck. <laughs> Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Whenever we think and we all fall into this trap. Whenever we think that things are going so well that we don't need to pray and we don't need to do devotions, remember Bobby Leach. 
because you don't know where your next banana is. Get back to the fundamentals. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk. Humbly. That'll preach. That's good on a coffee mug. That's good on a wall placard. Lifeway could make money on though they have. Okay. <laughs> Micah 6 9. The Lord's voice cries to the city. Wisdom shall see your name. Hear the rod. Who has appointed it? Who has appointed the rod of discipline? God has. And discipline is in place because love is in place. Where discipline is, is a, discipline is a measure of love. If love were absent, there would be no correction. God is disciplining Israel because he loves them. Are there yet the treasures of the wickedness in the house of the wicked and the short measure that is in that is an abomination shall i count pure those who those with the wicked scales and with the bag of deceitful weights like we talked about in Jerusalem often the weights were slighted to favor the merchants and god saying should i just sweep all of that under the rug should should i just ignore that that's not cool to god that's not doing justly. For her rich men are full of violence. Her inhabitants have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I will also make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate because of your sins. Remember, he's wanting to correct their idolatry. Now watch what happens. Let me... Let me preface this by reading Proverbs 13, 15. Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Okay, hold on to that. The way of the unfaithful is hard. Watch what God is going to promise to the nation of Israel in verse 14. You shall eat, but not be satisfied. Hunger shall be in your midst. You may carry some away, but you shall not save them. And what you do rescue, I will give over to the sword. You'll sow, but not reap. You shall tread the olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall make sweet wine, but not drink wine. What God is saying is, He isn't going to bless sin. And for us to think otherwise, think that God would bless us in our sin, is a mistake. He says, for the statutes of Omri are kept, all the works of Ahab's house are done, and you walk in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation, and your inhabitants a hissing. Therefore you shall bear the reproach of my people. They follow in the statutes of Omri and the works of Ahab. In 1 Kings chapter 16, of King Omri, it says that he was the most wicked to have come. More wicked than all the kings before him. And then Ahab comes after Omri and beats him. Ahab is the wickedest of all kings, and they walk in the counsel of that wickedness. Contrast that with Psalm chapter 1. Woe is me, he says, verse 1 of chapter 7, for I am like those who gather summer fruits, like those who glean vintage grapes. This is Micah speaking. There is no cluster to eat of, the first ripe fruit which my soul desires. Micah's going to cry a little bit here. He's going to complain about the situation he's in, and God's going to correct him. God's going to pull him out of that here in a minute. The faithful man has perished from the earth. Have you ever felt like that? Man, I'm the only righteous one left. 
I'm the only light in all this darkness. I, uh, there's the faithful man has perished from the earth. You know what? It's not true. In the same way that Elijah thought he was the last one, God says, no, I've got 5,000 that have yet been to me to bail. The media we, uh, of today might paint a different picture that the faithful man has indeed perished, but there are many that have not yet bowed the knee. There's no one upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with the net, that they may successfully do evil with both hands. <laughs> There's no half-hearted evil. <coughs> we're going to do it with both hands. We're, we're, gonna, we're all in on evil. That's what, that's what Israel was saying. The prince asks for gifts. The judge seeks a bribe. And the great man utters his evil desire, so they scheme together. Man, that's just, that's so different than the world we live in today. We don't, yeah, sure. The best of them is like a briar. <laughs> Remember running through the briars and having to pull them off your socks? And it was never fun, the thistles and thorns. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen and your punishment comes. Now shall be their perplexity. And then he says, Micah, feeling the woe of, of the situation, do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. The word there, more like a mentor, a teacher. Do not put your confidence in your teacher. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. <laughs> How low was Micah? Don't even trust your friends. Forget about your teachers. You can't confide in them. And especially don't say anything to your wife. For a son dishonors his father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been in the doldrums in that way? If so, here's what you do. God doesn't leave it hanging there. Verse 7. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. When the world would overwhelm us, when the situations around us feel like they're pressing in on us, the water is rising, it's up to our necks, when we feel overwhelmed with the situation of the world, the right response is, therefore, I will look to the Lord. We need to gain the right perspective. Remember what happened to Balaam? Every time he wanted to curse, he, he, he gave a blessing. Every time he looked at the Lord, a blessing occurred. When we have the wrong perspective, the first thing we need to do is change what we're looking at, who we're looking at. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. What a promise. God does hear us. He, he invites us to come boldly to the throne of grace. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy, when I fall, for I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. All is not bleak as it looks, is what he's saying. I will bear the, I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I've sinned against him. Micah reaches an interesting point here. I'm going to look to the Lord. And when I do, I'm going to gain the right perspective. And part of the right perspective is that I recognize, as I walk humbly before God, 
that I am in desperate need of him because I'm a wretched man. Know our position. What's our position? We're sinners saved by grace. Job questioned God for 36 chapters. That's quite a dissertation. And then God answers. And what is, what is Job's reply to God's answer? The first words out of Job's mouth after God answers, Behold, I am vile. Job chapter 40, verse 4. Isaiah, in the presence of God, in Isaiah chapter 6, what does he say? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Peter, when Jesus is in the, in the boat with him, Peter, what does he say? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. When he realizes he's in the presence of God. John Corson said this, I like it a lot. Any clear revelation of deity results in a realization of one's own depravity. Any clear revelation of deity results in a realization of one's own depravity. That's what's happened to Micah here. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. And as he looks to the Lord, he recognizes his own depravity. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. Remember, God is both just and the justifier. He will bring me forth to the light. I will see his righteousness. Jesus proclaimed, I am the light of the world. Then she who is my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? You ever had a friend ask that? When you're walking through a difficult time? Where's your God now? What's he doing? Why aren't you being rescued? Why aren't, is God real? Or where's your where is your God? That's what they're asking. The enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets, speaking of the enemies of God, those that would stand against him. In the days when your walls are to be built, in that day the decree shall go far and wide. We know that Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, come back. They're the remnant that returns to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. In that day they shall come to you from Assyria and the fortified cities, from the river to the... I'm sorry, from the fortress to the river, from sea to sea and mountain to mountain. That was the boundaries that were given when Israel returned to its land. Yet the land shall be desolate because of those who dwell in it and for the fruit of their deeds. He says, judgment is still looming. I am still going to execute this. And now Micah prays, and it's a picture of God as a shepherd. He says, shepherd your people with your staff. The flock of your heritage, who dwell solitarily in a woodland, in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old. He's making a request here, one that's probably lost on us because we don't understand those locations. He picks Carmel, Bashan, and Gilead. Those are the three most lush places in all of the land that Israel had been given. And he uses that as a descriptor to say, God, care for us. Lead us to this lushness, this beauty. Lead us back to these things. Shepherd us in this way. Help us to dwell in the midst of Carmel, Bashan, 
in Gilead as in the days of old. Let your blessing come back on your people again. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them wonders. The nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ear shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. That's a, there's an interesting comparison to the events of Revelation chapter 6 there. I'll let you research that on your own. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and, fear shall, and, and shall fear because of you. We need to remember a yet future event even for us that there is a day coming when the Lord will manifest all of his glory on behalf of his people. When Israel will return to the center of the world, all, of, all attention will fall on Israel. The Lord will manifest all of his glory on behalf of his people. Now, the last three verses are really key. The, they would actually read them on the Day of Atonement. Um, the, the rabbis would traditionally, the, or sorry, the priests, would read these last three verses next to a running stream. And he would stand by this running stream and would empty his pockets as he was standing there reading these verses. Symbolically, he was unloading his burdens upon the living water. Make sense? And these are the verses he would read. Who is, like, who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? That's, that's the name Micah. Micah means, who is like our God? And he asks the question, who is a God like you? What's the answer? It's rhetorical. What's the answer? None. There is not a God like you. In one sense, that's the very definition of his holiness. Holiness means separate. There is none like him. There is the creator and everything else. Everything else is the created. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. How good are you at that? How good are we at pardoning iniquity? Yet in his love for us, God has done just that. No one has ever loved you like God loves you. We have no comparison to gauge by. We know the love of marriage. We know the love of parenting. But there is nothing to compare to when looking at the love that God has for us. Think of it this way. With our loving earthly relationships, the love of parents to kids, the love of husband and wife, at times, in those relationships, we have to come with the mountain of rams. We have to come with the rivers of oil in order to smooth things over, don't we? In those loving relationships that we have on earth, we have to bring the, the, the rivers of oil to smooth it over. But that's not the case with God. There is nothing we can do to increase God's love for us. I hope you hear that truth today. There is nothing you can do 
to increase God's love for you. And there is also nothing you can do to decrease his love for you. There is no other relationship that we have that is like that of the relationship of our loving Father. Micah asks the question, who is like our God? No one. Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. How many times do we as parents, as we are raising our children, do we practice this? Passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. You see your kids err and you decide to pass it by. You allow them to make the mistake, and you don't come down in judgment, but rather offer mercy. I don't know about you, but I do that at times. I certainly don't do it all the time. We do it at times, but sometimes we fail at that. Our kids get under our skin. Our feelings get hurt. The coworker steps on our toes. At times, we offer mercy. He does it all the time. He does it all the time. Passes over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Right? James would say, mercy triumphs over judgment. Think of the father in the prodigal son story. When he sees his son afar off, he doesn't wait for his son to return to him. He runs to his son. That's the love of our Father. He delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. He will put our iniquities under him. Subdue. Subdue our iniquities. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Think about that for a minute. We don't know the depths of the sea yet. Here we are, 6,000 years old, however, however old we are, how many years human, humans have walked the earth, and we still don't know the depths of the sea. We don't know, there's, there's creatures yet undiscovered. You go three miles down into the sea, there is no light at all. Light cannot penetrate that deep into the sea. And that's where he casts our sin into the depths of the sea so they cannot be seen any longer. He puts up a no fishing sign. We're not going to bring these up again. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Micah asks the question, who is like our God? To close the book. And all I can say to close the sermon is, Truly, no one. That's why we worship Him. That's why we praise Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close. Who is like you, O God? There are none. You stand alone, holy, completely separate. In your love and in your mercy, you rightly justly sacrificed your son, lovingly sacrificed your son, fulfilling your justice. 
and through that extend mercy to us, not getting what we deserve. We thank you for pardoning our iniquity. We thank you for setting the wrong right within our lives. We ask your blessing upon us, God, that you would mold us and shape us through the power of your word, by the presence of your spirit, God. That we would hear what you would have to say to your church today, Lord. That we, you sum up the commandments in these three simple things. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. May we strive to accomplish that, Lord, in your, in your love for us. Guide and direct us, Lord, until we meet again. I thank you for this time, and I thank you for this church. We ask you your blessing upon us, Lord, that you would mold us and shape us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.